Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Annie Kagan. She is the author of The Afterlife of Billy Fingers, How My Bad Boy Brother Proved to Me There's Life After Death. If that doesn't intrigue you, nothing will. Now, Annie is neither a medium nor a psychic, and she did not die and come back to life. In fact, she was awakened by her dead brother. She thought perhaps she had gone a little crazy, understandably, and um, she shares her extraordinary story in this book that we're going to discuss today. I think this is probably one of the most detailed and profound after-death communications I've ever read. Her book goes beyond the usual near-death experience and answers some of the most amazing and elusive questions about what happens after we die. So, Annie, I'm delighted to welcome you to the show. Oh, and Miriam, I'm delighted to be here. Annie, I understand you were a successful chiropractic physician in New York City, but you actually left your practice to go and live on this on the shore just before your brother died. Tell us a little about yourself and what was going on with you at that time. Yes, I had quite the New York City life. I had a successful chiropractic practice. And um, after several years, I was because I was such a devoted doctor, very devoted to my patients, after a while, I began to find it very stressful working with people who were in pain. So I decided to begin a meditation practice to remedy that. And a strange side effect of my meditation was that I became hypersensitive. And now going to work, instead of it being easier, it actually became more difficult. At the same time, my city life became difficult, the noise and the pace. So without thinking too much about it, because I think if I, I would have been afraid if I thought about it a lot, I sold my practice. I found a very small old house by the bay, and all I wanted was solitude and quiet and meditation. And I had no idea at that moment that my life was setting the stage for a new adventure to come, which was the adventure I had with my brother. Now, your brother, uh, who you can describe in a minute, um, died and started appearing to you. Do you think that the meditation practice that you instituted and this hypersensitivity that you described sort of opened the door for him to be able to contact you? No question about it. I also think if I had still been living in the city, I also wouldn't have been able to hear him. But the meditation that I did, I mean, I was very surprised because it was just a chance meeting that I that I started to meditate, and the meditation took took me over, and I began meditating three hours a day. This was not anything I ever had planned for my life, and I got very quiet, and I feel that that quiet enabled me to be able to hear my brother speaking to me. Otherwise, I'd 
I don't think it would have happened. It's kind of like clearing the static from the radio transmission and really tuning in to, to, to a station. So tell us a little bit about this bad boy brother of yours, Billy. Yes. Well, ever since I was a little girl, Billy was seen as the bad boy. I was the good girl, and he was the bad boy, because he always had problems with drugs and alcohol for as long as I could remember. But also, I mean it in kind of tongue-in-cheek way in the title, because to me, Billy was always a very glamorous figure. He lived life the way he wanted. He broke the rules. And he really enjoyed himself. Any, any woman who's kind of been in love with a bad boy will know, will know what I'm talking about. And interestingly, from the other side, in a way, he's still a bad boy. He's still breaking the rules. <laughs> he's still telling me things in a very unusual way, like deep spiritual truths in, in his bad boy way. So that's what I mean by bad boy. <laughs> So um, he, he died quite suddenly, didn't he? Yes, he did. Although, you know, his, his addictions towards the end of his life were very tragic. And I knew he wasn't headed in, in a good direction. So, yes, it was, it was very sudden. He was hit by a car as he was running across a highway in the middle of the night. And, yes, it was, it was very, very unexpected. And I wonder if he he mentioned whether this kind of sudden death uh, predisposed him to being able to communicate with you or needing to communicate with you. Actually, no. I I actually think that this was our destiny. And also in the book, there's a certain point where the book is a bit of a thriller. So Billy takes me on on a kind of cosmic journey uh, as a detective to try to figure out what's going on. And at one point, I find his old journals. And in his journals, he says that he over and over that he wants to write a book, that he wants to write a book to help humanity, that he wants to write a spiritual book. And uh, how amazing that, that he's done this after he died. So I think there was definitely destiny involved in this. Wow. Wow. So now let's launch into it. How did he first contact you after his death? Well, of course, I was extremely grief-stricken, could barely function. And it was sunrise, and it was my birthday. And as I was half awake, I heard him calling my name from above me. Annie, Annie, it's me, it's Billy, get up. And at first I thought I was dreaming. And I said, Billy, Billy, you're dead. You can't be here. (laughs) And then he told me to go get a notebook. And then I knew I was awake because here I was now out of bed getting a notebook. And um, he began describing how he he went up a beautiful, beautiful chamber of silvery lights and how the moment the lights touched him, they had healed all the pain that he had suffered during his lifetime, mental, physical, emotional. And now he was drifting through a beautiful divine universe with with 
higher beings, invisible higher beings attending to him. And he assured me that death was wonderful, couldn't be better, as he would say in his bad boy way, couldn't be better really, <laughs> and that uh, we will meet again. Mm. Now, more often than not, when people have these kind of experiences, they think they're going a bit crazy. How did you get past that? Well, one of the things is that when Billy talks to me, the euphoria of his world flows into my world. So while he's actually communicating, I don't doubt it. But when he leaves, I'm thinking, wait a minute. This, this has to be my grief. This is crazy. I mean, how would you feel if all of a sudden your dead brother is talking to you, not in your head, but outside of your head, you could hear him clear as day and you're writing it down. And then you look and you see, these aren't your words, but I was extremely skeptical that maybe somehow I was trying to make myself feel better, but that didn't turn out to be the case. Mm -hmm. And your perception of him was always auditory or did you also see him? Well, in the very beginning, it was auditory. I only heard him. Then, as, as he changed form, he changed form. Um, sometimes he would appear as a beautiful blue elliptical light in my room, and I would look at it and tune in, and then I could hear him. And then as he went deeper into the realms of the afterlife, I started to begin to hear him through my crown chakra. And then I was actually able to see glimpses of him and even glimpses of his world. Hmm. When you say see glimpses of his world, how did they appear to you? It was always like a little flash. I never had a, a constant picture. It was like a flash of his world, of the realm he was in, of what he was describing. And um, and the same with him. But sometimes he was formless, and then I didn't see him when he was going through a formless stage because one of the wonderful things that I learned about the afterlife is that it's a place of constant transformation. And sometimes he would actually have a form, and then I was able to see him. And, of course, in his bad boy way, he would tease me and make jokes while he was in that form. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Now, he obviously um, retained his identity uh, no matter what form he appeared to you in. So, uh, you know, I, I think probably one of the greatest fears of death is that we lose our sense of identity. And here was Billy coming to you in, in a very clear and definite billiness. Um, how... How did you actually um, recognize or resonate with his billiness, with his, his identity? Well, there was absolutely no question that it was Billy. And people who know him, who read the book, his, um, his stepdaughter, she called me as soon as she read the book. She goes, oh, my God, it's Billy. It's really Billy. Because he had such a distinct personality and such an individual, unique spirituality that there's no question that it's him. But I would say that that was one of the most surprising things because 
if I had any concept of the afterlife, it would have been that um, you just go into a sea of bliss, you know, sea of everything and nothing. But that's not what happened. He clearly was still him. Hmm. Hmm. Now, how did he prove to you? I mean, you said that while he was talking to you, you had this very strong sense of him. But in between, the, the skepticism arose and you had this circle of friends, of, of writer friends, particularly uh, Tex. Um, tell, us, tell us about how he started giving you proof. Yes, about, about, the, um, about the third time he appeared he told me that he understood that I was skeptical and that he was going to give me proof that I wasn't just imagining him. And um, so he would do things like, um, he would tell me, Tex, Tex is one of the people that he really reached into their life and changed their life. And I, I don't want to give away the story too much because I don't want to spoil it for readers. Sure. But, um, for example, a lot of the proofs had to do with her because he wanted to get her faith. So one of the things that he did was he, one afternoon I was making lunch and he said, why don't you call your friend Tex and tell her, show me the money. So I was a little embarrassed, but okay, Tex has a great sense of humor. So I call Tex and I say, Tex, Billy says, show me the money. What does that mean? And she goes, oh my God, like this morning I was walking the dogs by the ocean and he looked up to the sky. And of course, you know, she was also skeptical that Billy's real. And she said, Billy, please just give me a sign. Give me a sign that you're real. And she came home, took a shower, and after she got out of the shower, she was um, dancing in the mirror, saying, show me the money, show me the money, thinking of her screenplay. And then she gets out of the shower, and I say, Billy says, show me the money. Mm -hmm. So, wow, how could that be? I couldn't know that. And then... Um, Later on, and there were many incidents with tax. Another one was uh, Billy showed up one night and dictated a letter to tax from her relatives and used the name Patty Malone. Now, her last name is, in Malone, is not Malone. And I found out after giving her that letter that that was her mother's maiden name. And she had a grandfather named Patty Malone. So that was a lot of proof for both of us that, gee, how could I know that? She knew she had never said that to me. So something was definitely going on that was greater than, than myself. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes, this, this is the same kind of reaching into past, present, future, into the cosmic mind that psychics report. So uh, it was like he was um, doing this uh, psychic demonstration in order to convince not just uh, you and your friends, but uh, your readers eventually. So what what were it took you quite a few years to decide to share your story with others um why were you holding off 
Two reasons. Number one, I really didn't want to be seen as the crazy woman who talks to her dad. <laughs> it wasn't a role I cherished. And I didn't, I didn't want, um, and I was enjoying the experience so much that selfishly, I didn't want other people to kind of spoil it with their doubts and their skepticism. But then I took a trip, actually. I took a trip and... Um, while I was getting a massage, I decided for the first time to tell a stranger my story. And when I got up from the massage, he was crying. And he said to me, you know, my sister died. Wow, I'm getting choked up. My sister died a few months ago. She was not even 20. She got sick really suddenly and died. And I feel like you're a messenger from her, that she wants me to know you're all right. And that was, that was the first of many experiences where I realized the story was bigger than myself and I really didn't have a right to keep it to myself. And now I have a Facebook page and the page has only been up for three months. And believe it or not, I have over 22,000 people on that page sharing their stories because people have stories and they're afraid to tell them. And this is such a wonderful thing that I'm, I'm really glad that I put my pride aside, my image aside. Sometimes it was bad enough being a chiropractor. You know what I mean? You would tell people and they'd say, well, are you a real doctor? Well, well that was good training for this. <laughs> yeah. So can you share some of the more surprising uh, perspectives that Billy shared with you about the afterlife? Well, I think one of the most wonderful things is that we, we or I would tend to think about the afterlife as something very static. What was surprising was how vast, complex, and, and active it is there, and that we change more in the afterlife than we do in life. We have so many births and deaths and it's all about the evolution of the soul. That was very, very surprising to me. So we, we keep on learning in between lives? It's more than learning. I think we experience. And as he travels through the realms, each realm helps him evolve. And the evolution that we're going towards is we're becoming higher beings. We ourselves are becoming like the divine beings that we meet along the way. So it's all, uh, all a journey of evolution as is life. So it's this amazing continuum, right? It's just that we go through the door of death and there's an amazing adventure waiting for us there. But the difference is, I mean, one, one of the wonderful things that I personally have learned is that in the afterlife, we are truly detached. And one of the reasons it's very hard to be detached in life is because we don't know what's happening next. But in the afterlife, everything that happens is beautiful, wonderful, divine, so Billy is just in the ride of each moment, 
changing, evolving. And one of the ways that, that you evolve, one of the things that changes you is that the divine beings give you unconditional love. And that unconditional love helps you change and heal and love yourself more. You know, we talk a lot, a lot about unconditional love on earth, but I don't think that we're really capable of truly, truly loving each other unconditionally, not, not while we're in human form. And by the way, that actually has helped make me a more loving person because my expectations of others are less. I don't expect to get that kind of love from people. Oh. Billy's had something interesting about the necessity or the nature of pain in, in, in physical life. Yes. Yes, he says that pain in life is just the natural part of the duality of our existence so that it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. I had a wonderful message um, from a woman who's quite ill, and she said that reading about that has changed her entire life because somehow she always felt responsible somehow for her own pain. And now she knows, like, it's just somehow what she's chosen or it's just part of life. And she doesn't have to punish herself for the pain. And so I, I think that for me, uh, he talks about the shadow side of life on earth. For me, that was one of the most important lessons that you can't have the wind without tornadoes. You can't have the sea without storm and you can't have life without pain. It's okay. And in his bad boy way, of course, he has to say, but it doesn't mean you have to like it. <laughs> it's not like you have to say, this is a great gift. And he says, you know, he really didn't like pain at all, but the soul has, has a different vantage point. So yes, there's pain and you, and it's very natural and human to prefer pleasure. The other, another thing that Billy said was yeah. about the complete lack of limitation actually that we have as physical beings, that we just are not aware of that. How has your view of who we are changed as a result of this? Well, the most important thing in, in that regard is um, how he talks about we are literally the universe. And my research has showed that that's not just a poetic image, that every single cell in our bodies has been made inside a star. Neil Shubin, who's a, a professor and a science writer, I just want to quote him because I love this quote. The elements that comprise us are derived from the birth of stars and the explosion of supernovas. These events are only the beginning of our deep connections to the universe. So how amazing. It's like the same intelligence that runs the entire universe, heals our wounds and beats our hearts. And I've learned to let go of my mind a little bit more. And Billy has me 
and, and I suggest all your listeners do this, I look a lot at, at pictures of the universe from the Hubble telescope site, and I imagine it's like I'm imitating what Billy's doing because sometimes he's in this kind of universe state where he becomes part of the universe, inside and outside. And I just let go of my mind. I let go of my problems for a moment. And when I come back, I feel different. And I'm, I feel like I'm able to use, someone said it was kind of like, like a, almost like a cosmic consciousness, we used to call it. I'm able to access that, that consciousness that's, that's bigger than my own small mind or my own beliefs. You know, it's funny, one of, the, one of the bad boy things that he says that he loves is that human beings make up stuff and then we believe it. You know? <laughs> and, that, and that we spend a lot of our lives running around, you know, following beliefs that other people have given us. Uh-huh. And, and, and he wants to make us very much the own authorities of our life. Look at the beliefs. Is that my belief? Did I pick it up from somewhere? And then he says, of course, in his way, you know, you need a couple of beliefs in order to be on Earth. You can't have no beliefs. But, you know, pick them wisely. Pick the ones that that make you feel good and make you happy, not the ones that keep you running around doing someone else's agenda. I must say that reading the the passages uh, that Billy dictated um, really impressed me at as what a lyrical writer he was, what a lyrical spirit, profoundly uh, spiritual and, and uh, just just a beautiful soul. So what what is the difference between a near-death experience and after-death communications, in your view? Yes, and I, I, I want to say something about what you just said, because, you know, when Billy speaks to me, it's so lyrical, and it comes out all in one piece. And then my part, I sit and labor over it, you know, for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> that's, that's another difference, you know, and he, he kind of, we kind of have this little laughing thing back and forth because I was always supposed to be, you know, the more intelligent A student. And here he is writing away so beautifully and I'm struggling. So <laughs> that's, that's something I want to share. That's another way I know that, you know, it's really another consciousness and not me because I don't write like that. So, um, what was the question? Um, the, the difference between near-death experiences and after-death communication. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, I love near-death experiences. I feel like these both types of, of experiences validate each other. In, in a near-death experience, the person comes back, only goes to a certain level, and is, is interpreting the experience through their personality and through memory. Billy is speaking to us in real time. And he's going really, really, really deep into the realms of the afterlife that I don't think um, near-death experiences, they don't go quite that deep. I think another difference has to do with... Um, people really wanting to know that they can communicate and that their loved ones still exist and that the love still exists and that um, you will meet again. I think, 
you know, the signs, getting the signs and seeing the kind of signs that I get give people a lot of confidence to believe in the signs that they get. That's very important. Can, can I share a story with you about that? Please do. That I found so moving. Um, on my Facebook page, a woman who's a shopkeeper wrote to me and she said, I know you'll understand this. Nobody else understands this. But my sister was really ill. And um, part of her illness was that she had bruises on her body. And I was in my shop, and it was late at night, and it's a local shop, and, and I know most of the customers. And a stranger came into the shop, and the stranger had bruises on her. And because of my sister's situation, I asked her about her bruises, and we had a very compassionate, loving exchange. And the shopkeeper told me that when the woman was walking out, she turned and said, could you just give me a hug? I really need a hug. And when the shopkeeper got the hug, she felt her sister through her hug, through the hug. The stranger left, and the shopkeeper's sister died a few hours later. Oh. And the, yes, and the shopkeeper said, you know, I can't explain it, but I know somehow that was my sister saying goodbye to me. And it meant so much. And everyone's telling me, no, no, it couldn't be, it couldn't be. And I'm telling her, no, you know, you know, because when you get a sign, you just know it. It doesn't matter if anybody else believes it or if it makes sense. And I feel that that's one of the really important things that Billy wants us to know is that we do get signs and believe it because there's so much comfort in these experiences for those who are grieving, and I'm not sure the near the near death experience has that aspect to it. I think one of the important aspects of your book and books like this is that it does give people permission to acknowledge experiences that they've had. It reinforces them. It tells them you're not crazy. This is really happening. This is a real, a real effect. So I'm glad that you overcame your, your fear of ridicule. Now, um, one of the earlier, earliest, really, um, modern researchers of the afterlife is Dr. Raymond Moody. And um, he explains something uh, that the Greek philosophers called uh, walkers between worlds. Um, is, is Billy an example of this? Yes, he is. And um, actually, Dr. Moody wrote the foreword to my book, and we had conversations. And I think he was saying, Billy is, and I think he was also telling me that I was, because I think he was trying to make me feel a little bit better about what was going on because I felt so different. Like I know people had after death communications, but not quite like this one. And Dr. Moody was so kind. He's such a sincere, wonderful man. And actually his new area of research has to do with shared death experiences. We see, like sometimes in near-death experiences, skeptics can say, oh, well, the person was ill or, you know, they were on drugs. But Dr. Moody, um, I believe his, his new book is Glimpses of Eternity, talks about how people at the bedside 
can sometimes share that death experience. So he was saying, yes, I was, I was sharing Billy's death experience and that they used to do that in ancient Greece. And I think that one of the reasons this doesn't happen more is because there really is a taboo in our society against this kind of thing where from the beginning of time, people have had these kind of experiences. This is nothing new. People revere their ancestors and they look to them for guidance. And so I want to open up this platform to people it's interesting in the um, Wiccan uh, Halloween practice, they um, have mirrors set up and they look into the mirrors and uh, wait for the, the faces of their ancestors to come through. It, it's similar to what I think Dr. Moody uh, developed, the, the psychomantium. Yes, exactly. Yes, he's the foremost researcher on this and I'm sure he's he's uh had his own paid his own price <laughs> prices for for doing this wonderful research you know he's just such a kind wonderful man yes yes they they do do that and um but I want to say something else because sometimes people who don't get signs sometimes this this makes them feel a little a little uh, sad and I want to say that I think it may be like a talent, like other talents, like playing tennis or being able to sing. Because my father actually always told me that he talked to his dead mother and father and his brothers. He was he was the last one alive. And he would say, oh, I had a conversation with my mother and my father. And I would say, oh, sure, daddy, that's great. Like I thought he meant a fantasy conversation. Mm -hmm. And and when he was dying, uh, he would say, you know, my, my mother's outside the room. And, and so I think that, that um, you know, possibly this runs in families. That's, that's what some of my research is showing. But, but I, people who don't get signs directly can... If they can get, you know, it's one of the things that, that Billy says on the other side is that there's no competition. Everybody just appreciates everyone for who they are. And if you don't happen to be someone with that kind of opening, you, you can meditate and try different things. But take comfort from other people's stories, because if it's true for them, it's true for you, because what it means is we're all eternal, all of us, not just some of us. We all go on, yes. So you, you've obviously accepted the notion that we are eternal. Has that affected the way you live your life today? Completely. Completely. I'm, I'm, um, it makes death feel like an adventure. It makes me live my life happier, freer. I'm, my, my mother... My mother died after my brother died. And although, yes, I was grief-stricken, it changed the whole experience for me. And I reach out to her, and I can feel her. And I knew, knowing that, that she was going to this beautiful, amazing level, was changed the whole experience, changed the whole death experience. And it also changes my, um, 
my outlook on aging, and, and there's another thing I want to I want to say is that, you know, you'll notice this is a time there are so many books about near-death experiences experiences coming out at this time. And I'm thinking, like, why is that? And, oh, yeah, because the baby boomers are aging. The baby boomers are approaching death. And the baby boomers, I am one of them, have always been such an open generation and such a revolutionary generation that maybe it's time for us to change the concepts that we have of death, which would make our lives so much more wonderful, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you, you, you were talking about how intuitive skills are tend to be found in families and so on. And yet uh, there are classes available for psychic development and all that. And I think a great part of getting messages, if you're, if you're suffering a loss and, and want a message, or even if you're not suffering a loss, if you want some kind of, of hint about from from your angels from the universe about what is the next best best path to take is just to pay attention to the world around you because the universe seems to be wanting to give us information and it does so through coincidences through synchronicities and just being awake and paying attention and connecting the dots it can go a long way towards getting that kind of confirmation that we're all seeking. Would you agree with that? I completely agree. And, and Billy wrote a piece that I love. Called, he calls it the quantum ballroom. And he says, you know, he invites everyone. This, isn't in, this is not in the book, but um, please come into the quantum ballroom. Put on your favorite costume. Open your mind. And when, as you said, Miriam, when the universe speaks to you, believe it, right? Don't just say, oh, it's just a coincidence. And the more you open to it and the more you accept it, the more it will happen. I was talking to someone the other day who said, oh, I wish I get signs. I wish I got signs from my mom. And then we're talking, and it turns out that sometimes in our home, she smells her mother's perfume. She doesn't have them, her mother's perfume. And her sister smells it as well. So that's a sign. You know, this, there's, there's signs in butterflies and birds in the sky and thinking about a friend. And yes, we're, we're, we're all psychic beings. And I think that the step is go on the side, err on the side of believing it. So what if it's not true? Right? Would you agree? Totally, totally. Um, Billy felt very strongly that no matter how we lived, that we are loved. Why, why did he um, want to communicate that so strongly? Well, probably because of the way he lived. <laughs> you know, he, Billy was not a doctor, a lawyer. He was, he was not a model citizen. He was addicted to drugs. He um, lived on the wild side. And I think 
what he wants everyone to know is that number one, divine consciousness is not the same as the human mind. And our ideas about punishment and um, karma, again, they're human beliefs. Divine consciousness is much more involved in healing. It's about healing. And it's something, what if divine consciousness is something we really cannot understand? And also, what if we can't understand another person's existence? You know, it's wonderful to think, wow, we can all relate to each other. But also, in a funny way, we can never exactly stand in somebody else's shoes. So he's trying to teach us, number one, don't be so judgmental. And don't even judge yourself. Because like he says, he signed up to explore drug addiction. He's so signed up to do that before he was born. And that was his struggle, and it was a divine struggle. And no matter what our struggles are or what darkness face we face, you know, we're all divine beings. And so I, I think what he's saying is that, you know, divine love is something that we in our human state can't even really imagine the, the, the beauty and depth of it. I interviewed Don Miguel Ruiz um, uh, Jr. recently. Oh, uh, yes. As, yes. <laughs> as well as his father. And one of the Toltec um, principles is that we are all the artists of our lives. And, you know, if you're going to do something, you know, just do it with the full juiciness, the full exuberance of the life force. If you're going to be bad, be really bad, you know. going to be bad, really bad, yeah. But, like, to him, he didn't, Billy didn't feel like he was being bad. Matter of fact, he felt like he was searching for the truth. Mm. And, you know, on, on this planet things are not always as they appear to be. Like he says, you know, on earth, he could never listen to anybody because the people in, in, in authority were not really necessarily wonderful people. On the other side, people in, people or beings who are in power should be in power. So he was just kind of like on the hero's journey on this side of things, looking, looking for the truth. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that we all need to find our own truth, right? And maybe not, you know, I think part of his journey of going through what he went through was to later write this book and to be able to help so many people. I'll tell you, I, I heard uh, a letter from a woman who told me that she had actually three children who were drug addicts. And that reading this book gave her so much comfort because she always felt that actually they were very beautiful beings. So, you know, one does not exclude the other. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to open our mind and not be so judgmental of people's circumstances. And um, it would be a, a much better and kinder world that way, do you think? I think that that really is a key element, not being judgmental, because you can't live another person's life. You cannot understand their motivations and, and the pain that they're feeling. 
everyone is doing the best that he can in his own way to to live his or her life. So, um, you know, un- until you're in that person's shoes, just don't judge. Um, one, one, of the thing, one of the things that Billy said, which I, I particularly liked, when he was talking about the stream of life. Yes. And he was saying... So many people focus on the sand in the oyster instead of in the, on the oyster itself, instead of on joy. That was such a beautiful message. Yes, the pearl in the oyster. Yeah. He was, he was so funny. He was saying, you know, he would say to me, the world is your oyster. The world is your oyster. And then I realized, you know, and he, and he was telling me to make the pearl. And then I realized, well, you know, the pearl comes from a lot of irritation. That's, that's what the pearl is. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, you know what? Yes, there's sand in life. There's irritation in life. But you know what? Don't, don't keep focusing on that. Focus on the things that you like. Keep your mind focused on on the colors, the people, the music. He has me listen to music a lot. And then the irritation will become a little bit smaller. And he, he always says, you know, if you take a big bite out of the ocean, you're going to get a lot of sand. But hey, then you're going to make a lot of pearls. <laughs> what beautiful advice. Tell me, Annie, what is your what is your Facebook page? What is your website? How can people oh, yes. connect with you? Uh, the website is afterlifeofbillyfingers.com. And please look at the Facebook page. I love that page. It has a lot of Billy sayings and beautiful visual inspiration. And that's also Afterlife of Billy Fingers on Facebook. And uh, both places you can download a free excerpt to get a taste of my brother's wisdom and and personality, shall we say. And yes, I I invite your listeners. Please join us. You know, what we didn't mention in the introduction was that you actually are a singer and songwriter. And uh, when, I, when I saw that, you know, we always close our show with our track of the week. So I asked you to send me a track. Can you tell me something about it? Yes, I wrote this song with uh, Brian Keane, a wonderful producer, and I actually wrote it after my father died, and um, it just completely relates to the message of the book. So I'd love you to share it with the listeners. It's called How You Love Me. How You Love Me. How You Love Me by Annie Kagan. And Annie, um, what about your own website, AnnieKagan.com? That'll take you to Afterlife of Billy Fingers. It's the same the same website, actually. And so I want to thank you for being with us, Annie, author of The Afterlife of Billy Fingers, and we're going to go out with your song called... How You Love Me. How You Love Me.
How You Loved Me by Annie Kagan, singer-songwriter, chiropractor, and author of The Afterlife of Billy Fingers. You can find and buy her book on our website, www.ncreview.com, along with reviews of many more fascinating books and films. New Consciousness Review is a growing community of readers and authors exploring the whole spectrum of human experience and providing real insight on living life to the fullest. If you have a smartphone, you'll also find a link on our website to our mobile app so you can pull up the latest interviews, videos, and listings wherever and whenever you have a free moment. That's at ncreview.com, and you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook.com at ncreview. Next week, our guest will be one of the first new consciousness authors to bridge across to the mainstream with his conversations with God books. Neil Donald Walsh will be talking about his book, The Only Thing That Matters, It's book two in the Conversations with Humanity series. If you've ever heard Neil speak, you know you won't want to miss it. And if you're interested in the afterlife, you will want to check out the Afterlife Awareness Conference. It's being held in St. Louis, Missouri from Friday the 21st of June until Sunday the 23rd. You'll find the details on our website under Community Events, along with details of many other fascinating events coming up. Well, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll join us next week. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. You've been listening to NCR Radio. If you missed any of Miriam's shows, you can find them on demand any day and time on her show page. You can also download podcasts to your iPhone and take these inspiring shows with you wherever and whenever you like. If you have a question or comment for Miriam, you can follow her on Facebook at facebook.com slash ncreview. That's facebook.com slash ncreview. Be sure and join us next week for more passionate and exciting guests on NCR Radio.